I'm Daniel, the Past Life Regressionist, and it's time to begin. This is Timeless Spirituality. Hey everyone, welcome back to Time of Spirituality. Just wanted to drop in here at the beginning and say this was an episode that was recorded at the beginning of July in 2022. So we may throw around some days or times that uh, may seem a little bit out of place. So I just want to throw that one out there first because, you know, this is a, a podcast about time, essentially. So, yeah. You know, I'm just a big dork. Mm-hmm. So, with that said... If you would like to book a regression with me to discover who and where you have been throughout time, you can reach me on Instagram at the Past Life Regressionist or my website, thepastliferegressionist.com. And now, it's time to begin. One last thing, guys. I'm still having a bit of an audio issue with the program that I use. So there is a 30-second echo at the beginning of the episode, but it's gone after 30 seconds, so just... Yes, it will be there and gone. And uh, hopefully this will be taken care of for the next episode. I'm still working with the program company, software program company, to resolve that. They're being very helpful. So, uh, yeah, hope to have that resolved very soon. So enjoy the episode. Hi, Alette. Thank, Thank you so much for coming on Time of Spirituality. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. We just touched base in California, so um, I'm enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, it's pretty cool in California. Oh, it's great. It's great. This is a happy place. I find it to be a happy place. People are so nice. I was at Whole Foods the other day, and some guy just comes up to me. Nice hat. Another woman comes up to me. She's like, I like your makeup. I'm like, wow, people here just are so nice. So nice. I could get used to this. I don't live in California, but I could get used to this. It's like 95% of California that you're describing right now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. You ready for the first question? Let's do it. What is your favorite song about time and why? Okay. My favorite song about time. So there's a few. The first one that just like popped into my head just now without really thinking much is time after time. Time after time. When you lost me, na, 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 time after time. Um, I, for me, it's just, it's time and nostalgia are experiences that make me feel alive. Time and nostalgia make me feel alive. That song, it just brings me back to like what, high school. Then the song by Coldplay Time pops in next just because like, I have to insert a cool song, you know? So <laughs> it's like, like I, I just feel like by saying time by Coldplay, I feel cooler. But yeah, time after time and the experience of nostalgia, like it's, it's, you know, even just traveling right now with my kids and being in familiar places, going to places where I grew up seeing my husband's 
high school, seeing my childhood schools, um, there's something about that experience of nostalgia. Like where we live, we don't really have the vibrancy of all four seasons. We live in a desert. And so it's just hot a lot. And so for me thinking, even just growing up in the autumn seasons and seeing the leaves, the foliage change colors and driving up with my family to Bear Mountain and going hiking and pumpkin picking, apple picking, apple cider, like that whole autumn-esque experience. Even the thought of it, as I'm speaking, I just see the the hairs on my arms begin to rise because that feeling of like reminiscing and nostalgia, it just, it, it I end up experiencing di- the dichotomy of both the joy of the memories and also the sadness that comes along with time and how quickly time elapses. And now I have two babies and watching them grow and just my whole experience around time, watching kids grow is really mind boggling because as adults, you almost like, hopefully as far as our character traits go, we're growing and evolving all the time. But a lot of times the assumption is you look at an adult and they're the same person yesterday as they are today. And tomorrow they'll be the same, or at least we'll look the same on the outside. With kids, there's so many developmental leaps that happen in a week, in a month, that every time I look at my kids, it's like I'm looking at somebody new. Every week it's somebody new. And so it, 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 it that that whole sense of time has, I've really been questioning time and what it means and how to really a connect to it, but also transcend it at the same time. So yeah, time after time, just nostalgia and what it does. That that would be my song. That's a good choice. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Do you really think it's a good choice? I know you are you and my husband, you guys are both movie uh, uh music music buffs. So I feel like I have to be I had to choose well. My take on that song with regards to being a good choice is I think it's probably one of the quintessential time songs. And I like songs that have a timeless factor. That one really doesn't. <laughs> it, it, it just, it reeks of the 80s when you listen to it. But that's okay. I still think that it's a beautiful song. And I love the feeling that I get when I listen to it. It's so beautifully simplistic. So I think it's an amazing choice. Yeah. 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 Awesome. That's what I was going for. The eighties, the eighties, early nineties. I mean, I was, you know, that, that's just, that's childhood. So, and then the other song that just popped into my head was graduation by vitamin C, but we're not going to go there. (laughs) You mean we'll always be friends forever? We will. Of course. Oh yeah. I mean that. Yeah. Your family that goes without saying that. I don't think there's a choice. You're, you're locked in. You're locked in. As we go on. We remember all the all times, times we had together, and as <laughs> our lives change from whatever, we will still be <sighs> friends forever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that was my graduation song from middle school. Yeah, us too. Us too. Even that song, just like it's, 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 I'm thinking of my childhood best friends. And now as an adult, you know, two decades later, a decade and a half later, however long I can't do math, but, you know, thinking of all the love that we've experienced over the last two decades, the loss that, you know, just as, as time goes on, you know, you start to 
bring into your palette of life so many more colors and emotions and rich experiences. And, you know, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, and the other day I was just, I'm sitting with my in-laws and, you know, we're some, some, some people in my family are dealing with some um, illness right now. And, and just, you know, so, so someone in my family mentioned what doesn't, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I'm just thinking, I hope that's not true. I hope that what doesn't kill you makes you softer. I hope that what doesn't kill you makes you softer because the more yeah. I've experienced loss and pain and struggle and challenge, it softened me up to empathy, to really feeling what other people are going through. And in that, I'm able to connect on a much more profound, real, connect on a real level. Like when, when, someone's, ex when someone's experienced what you've gone through as far as challenges or loss goes, you feel seen, you feel heard. And so, you know, what doesn't kill me has made me, has made me softer and more relatable, I believe. I've never thought about it that way. That seems much more fitting though. It does, because the other way, it just sounds like you're heading down a jaded path. Yeah, who wants to be strong? Like when, honestly, when I'm going through something emotional, the last thing I need is for someone to look at me and be like, you got this, you're strong, you know? No, like I want someone to look me in the eyes, give me a hug and be like, I'm with you. I've been there. I'm holding you in this, you know, it's, it's hard. It is hard, you know? And that, that I, I believe allows for the experience of feeling seen, heard, understood. And that's healing. There's healing that happens in that. It's interesting that you bring that up because there was an episode that I recorded about three months ago, one that on this date that we're recording this, I haven't aired yet. And I brought up how one of the things I've been working on, at least for this year so far, has been softening my edges. So to hear what you just said about what doesn't kill you makes you softer, like that really resonates with me. Mm. That's, yeah, huh. Mm. It's mm. true. Yeah. The world would be a better place if we looked at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants tough guys walking around? You know, no, we want people with soft hearts, open hearts, listening hearts. And I feel like when we soften, we're able to hear the notes that other people are vibrating on, you know, and, and, and that then we can, then we can sing along with them and be with them hard, hard, like hard is just, mm, mm. I guess there's a time and place for, for hard and tough and strong. There's a time and place. Don't get me wrong. I have my strong parts. I have my hard parts. I have my tough parts, but, but oftentimes, oftentimes I feel like those parts are expressing themselves through ego and not through authenticity. Um, whereas when I'm the softest, I feel the most authentic. So for everyone listening, as you can see, we haven't even got to the loaded question yet. We're already getting very philosophical. So you're in for a treat. <laughs> That's for sure. Welcome to the spaceship. <laughs> so you ready for the loaded question? Oh, yeah. What's the loaded question? Mm. Who is Ayelet? Wow. Wow. Um, mm. It's interesting that you asked this question because that's a question that I've been working through over the last, I'd say, two months. You know, I find that my life happens in themes. There's themes as far as what I'm meant to overcome, grow through, understand about myself. Um, and this 
phase of my life has really brought up the question, who is Ayelet? Like, who am I really? Who am I really? I mean, on a spiritual level, I want to say I'm a soul. I'm a soul. And from that place, we're all one and we're all connected and nothing separates us. Nothing makes us different. You know, on the, in, from, the, from, the, <clears throat> from the perspective of just energy, and vibrational frequency, or we can say auras, you know, a person's aura transcends to encircling them. It goes beyond just their physical body. And that place of energy, like when you're standing, you know, one foot away from me, or even our auras, since you're, you know, you're in LA, I'm in the Bay area right now, right? Like our, or our energetic field is connecting right now. There's no separation. And from that place, I want to say, I'm just soul. I'm just energy. I'm just one with the divine, you know? So from a, from a lofty perspective, I'd like to say I'm, I'm a soul living in this human body, but from a, you know, but we do live in the world of nature in the world of physicality in the world of, you know, the divine hides himself or herself uh, within nature. And that requires the need to look, to look, to look for God, to look for divinity, to look inside ourselves and ask, who am I? So on a day-to-day in the world of nature and physicality, who is Ayelet? I'm a mom. I'm a, I love how that was the first thing that just came out of my mouth. Like I'm a mom because I'm not just mom. And I've, that's another big, I think, I think just becoming a mom, I have two really young kids. That's caused me to really question who am I? Because I think women often get caught up in identity of mom that they can lose themselves. And I've made it, I've made it my responsibility to make sure that that doesn't happen. A, because I know what brings me joy. I know what brings me pleasure. My kids bring me a ton of pleasure, but I am not that mom who can sit for hours and just build Legos without losing my mind. Um, and so, so while I am mom and I'm embodying all that it means to be mom and I'm loving it and I'm taking it all in and I'm, I'm, I'm in the moments with them. I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating this time with them. And, and at the same time, there's also the Ayelet that is on a mission. I'm a woman on a mission. I'm on a mission to transform lives, to teach people the art of manifesting, to allow people this, this insight to creating a life of their dreams and, and just living from this consciousness of infinite possibility, uh, of transcendent possibilities, of no limitation. I think I live there a lot. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so, so I'm mom, I'm businesswoman, I'm manifester, I teach people to manifest. And I'm also like, when I take a step back, I'm really into IFS, internal family systems therapy. And the whole premise is that as, as, as human beings, we're not just one thing. We're this dynamic salad of parts, right? And so we have the scared parts. We have the confident parts. We have the giving part. We have the selfish part. We have the, the, the outgoing part. We have the introvert part. You know, people are like, I yell it, you're so extrovert. And I'm like, yeah. And then there's days where all I want to do is just curl up under a cozy blanket with a good cup of tea and an awesome book and want nothing to do with anybody, you know, and those parts, they're all alive. Uh, so I wouldn't say I'm, I'm everything and I'm nobody. Who am I? I'm still figuring it out. That's a good answer. <laughs> 
Thank you for that one. Yeah, very well rounded. I like how you where you know you went full circle there. I was like, where's she going with this? You did well. You did well. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so for everyone listening, you guys have heard about my wonderful guest on the show already, even though she wasn't dropped by name. There was an episode I did with my friend Kaylee called The Heart Goes On, and we talked about a wedding that we met at. And it was your wedding that we met at. That's right. So you've already you've already made your presence sort of known on the show. So now everyone gets a voice to the presence or a voice to the name. Mm-hmm. And when I met you a couple days before your wedding, I was... Okay, I probably should give a little more backstory. So your husband is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And he lived in California. He was born in California. I met him in California. We lived together in California, and then he moved to Israel. So I didn't get a chance to meet you before your wedding. Well, just a couple days before. Uh So all I had heard up until your wedding were stories about you. And the way that he described you, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way that she's a real person. (laughs) Like, just thinking, bullshit. You're you're full of shit. (laughs) No, 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 this can't be. And then I met you and I realized he wasn't full of shit because he talked about how magical you were. She does this. She does that. I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, damn, he wasn't kidding. So when I met you also, I learned your story. I learned a bit about your spiritual journey and I was just blown away by it. So I think, yeah, that's probably a good place to go for today because your story is fascinating. I think it's, it's something that can challenge a lot of narratives. And I think it can bring a lot of inspiration for people in many different forms. So I'm going to leave that as a generalization right now so everyone can make of it what they would like. So you have the floor. What you got? Wow, my story. Okay. I mean, look, there's there's my whole life story. And then there's, and then there's the moments that stick out as being um, very, mm, being like pillars all pillars to my personality, pillars to my character of why I am the way I am, what drives me, what causes me to show up in work, in life, in the way that I do. And one of the, well, I'll say like my spiritual awakening, let's start there. My spiritual awakening started when I was 20 years old and I woke up to the message that one of my good childhood friends had passed away in a motorcycle accident the night before. And I remember, okay, let's rewind for a second. I yell it prior to age 20, most materialistic person you'll ever meet in your entire life. (laughs) It's like, if it didn't come out of Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Ad, like I wanted nothing to do with it. Like I was just, I was, I, I was needing to fill a lot of voids and it, it manifested in shopping, maxing out credit cards, having over a hundred pair of shoes. Okay. You get it. When, when I tell my husband, when my husband hears me tell over this story, he's like, really, Ayala, do you need to add that part? He sounds so bad. Well, I think that's probably one of the most important parts of that. It's the most important, like, because, because then fast forward to Dawn's passing away on a motorcycle and I'm 20 years old. I had never experienced loss, real loss, you know, like, okay, I had maybe like a couple of friends who had lost grandparents at that point in my life, but I never experienced anything direct that hit me in the face, let alone 
the loss of someone my own age. You know, she was 19. And I remember after hearing the story of how she passed and the way that it hit me, my heart dropped to my stomach and a voice, a voice as clear as this conversation you and I are having right now came into my head and said, Ayelet, while you've been alive for 20 years, you have not yet begun to live. And I was determined to start. I was determined that day to make the rest of my life count. And so one thing led to another and I got, I got, I got pulled to the bookstore and I went to the self-help section. It was my first time in the self, self-help section of Barnes and Nobles and a book called Buddha fell off the shelf. And I took it as a sign. I took it home. I read it and I was mind blown. I was inspired. It opened me up to all new ideas and concepts and philosophies and spiritual paths and meditation and yoga. I went back to the self-help section and I bought every single self-help book you can possibly imagine. You name it, I've probably read it. And I spent two years buried in books, buried in books. And I started to see myself shift. My mentality shifted, the way I perceived the world, the way I responded to people, the things that mattered, the things that gave me meaning began to shift. But after two years of reading book after book, I found myself reaching a glass ceiling. And I said, okay, I have this knowledge, I have this wisdom, but I'm not embodying it yet. It's not mine, I don't own it yet. And so I had met someone at a, at a dinner table in New York City, and he had introduced me to his guru who was living in an ashram in India. And I made a, I remember having, I remember, I remember having this insight that I need to get to India. I don't know why, but since I was a little girl, talk about like nostalgia and like childhood memories, but ever since I was a little girl, I've always been drawn to the colors, to the culture of India. And I knew I'd have to get there eventually. I did not see myself getting there in this way, but I, I sold thousands of dollars worth of designer purses, got on a plane to what I thought was going to be a 21 day meditation retreat. And after 21 days, decided to extend my trip and ended up spending six years in India. Um, so that, that was a really pivotal six years of my life, as you can imagine. I mean, I had a whole relationship. It was, you know, I had a guru and he was my teacher and his teachings were things that I lived for so many years. And, and then at one point, about five and a half years into my India experience, I attended Kumbh Mela. Have you ever heard of Kumbh Mela? Mm, what's that? So Kumbh Mela is the largest festival of consciousness on the planet. It, it takes place every three years in the deserts of India. It's basically like Burning Man on steroids and Hindu. So it's 50 million, five zero million Hindus and me in the middle of a desert. And there's just thousands and thousands of tents, thousands of camps. Every guru has their own camp. So I'm there with my guru, my teacher, 10,000 people in my camp. So you can imagine the size of the meditation hall. Just like visualize how big this structure has to be. Again, middle of the desert. So barren land for miles and miles and miles. 
and 10,000 of us meditating in this tent. I mean, the, 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 the energy in the room was palpable. Now, at one point, the guru said, everybody, you have a 30 minute break, do whatever you want. And at this point, like we weren't sleeping, we were meditating, we were working on ourselves. We were pretty exhausted. So everyone just took a nap in the tent. Like literally I just, I curled up in a corner with my backpack, used my backpack as my pillow, drifted off into this deep sleep. And then suddenly in the middle of my sleep, I hear this loud banging noise, loud banging noise. So I'm like, am I dreaming? Am I awake? Am I in this in-between state? What's going on? So I open one eye and I'm like, okay, Ayala, you must be dreaming. So I just go back to sleep and suddenly the, na- the, the banging noise gets louder and louder and louder. And so I open both eyes and I recognize that I'm very much awake, very much in a very real tornado. So much so that, again, this massive structure, 10,000 of us inside of it, made out of like fabric, the walls begin to rip water begins rising. At this point, there's just mud everywhere. And once people actually realize that they were in the middle of a tornado, everybody just looks up at this massive tent structure. And the realization that the structure was about to collapse hit us. And so 10,000 people all made their way to the two tiny little entrance doors. Okay. Now, have this visual in mind, 10,000 people, two tiny little doors. All right. There's an insane traffic jam. And I'm thinking if I don't get out of here in the next 10 seconds, I'm dead. This thing is done for. So I decided in that moment, plan B, I slid under the foundation of the tent itself, right? At this point, the the floor is muddy. It's watery. It's mush. So I slid in underneath dirt in mud, And I find myself outside of the tent, mud from head to toe. And I found myself in what seemed like a scene out of the Wizard of Oz. Um, Do you know the first scene out of the Wizard of Oz? It's the tornado scene. Mm -hmm. There's metal poles flying. There's debris everywhere. There's people just running for shelter, but there's no shelter. We're in the middle of the desert. It's just a bunch of tents. So where is everyone going to go? And so I spot in front of me a massive transportation truck. And I said, I'm just going to slide under this truck because it's the only chance I have of saving my life, you know, of being safe, I felt. And so I'm sitting under the truck. I close my eyes and I am just praying, praying, praying that this tornado subsides, that it stops. And as I'm there and I'm desperate and I'm like sweating and I'm shaking and I hear a voice come from my right side. So I look over and this older woman with piercing blue eyes looks me in the eyes and she says, darling, don't worry. At least if we die here, we die with our guru. And then she went and very peacefully closed her eyes and meditated. And I'm thinking, hold on, hold on, say what? you can die blissfully with your guru. I am not ready to die, let alone with my guru. I have parents who love me. I have siblings who love me. I have a whole future ahead of me. I have dreams. I have plans. I have goals. I am not ready to die. And so I close my eyes. And this time I say out loud, I'm like, dear God, if you can hear me, I need a miracle. 
And within 10 seconds, the tornado stops. And it was just this quiet, this peaceful shock of just quiet, shocking quiet. And I realized in that moment what it means to manifest, what it means to utter words out loud, to allow the vibrational frequency of our speech, of our words, which according to Kabbalah, speech is the direct link between the physical world and the spiritual world. And so speech has vibrational frequency to it. And those vibrational frequencies send information out into the cosmic field, into the universe. And those frequencies are inevitably responded to. I always say we're using the law of attraction, whether we like it or not, you know, through our thoughts, through our speech. So, so I began to really hone in on this power of speech, of thought, of intention, and use it to manifest a life that I'm crazy about. So, so I remember thinking in that moment, you know, God, if you save me from this, I don't know what's next for me in my life. I am surrendered from the how things are meant to play out, but I'm open to your divine guidance. Lead me where I'm meant to go. Have me meet who I'm meant to meet in order to experience a miracle. So fast forward a couple of months, I'm sitting by the pool in Bombay. You know, I, I had left the ashram for about a week to go on a vacation and visit some friends in Bombay. I'm sitting by the pool and, you know, I'm preparing for this four month bus tour that I was invited to take with the guru. And so I'm doing my meditation. I'm setting my intentions. I'm doing my visualization work. And for anyone who's tried to meditate, when your mind is, when your thoughts are racing, it's really hard to even focus just on your breath. And this voice kept trying to come into my meditation and I kept pushing it away and it kept getting louder and I kept pushing it away. And finally it just got so loud. I couldn't focus on anything else. So I entertained the voice and it said, crystal clear, as clear as this conversation, Ayelet, leave this country now and go to Israel. So within 30 minutes, I had a flight booked. The next day I had no plans of where to sleep, no official job. Um, I was leading retreats. Like that was, that was my job at the time was leading retreats. But, you know, my whole life got put on pause when I arrived to Israel without a plan. Um, my only plan was to be open to divine guidance and allow the universe, God, source energy to lead me to my very next step. And that, that, you know, there's a lot of little stories embedded into this bigger one, but um, within a year, I started really honing in on manifestation. I took the manifestation work that I <laughs> focused on and studied under masters in India, then started learning under Kabbalists and mystics in Jerusalem. And I merged that wisdom and I got to a place in my life where I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to meet my husband. You know, I felt ready. I felt clear. I was in alignment. I had no doubts. And so I'm sitting at lunch with my girlfriends and I said, dear God, if it is your will, my intention is to be married by the end of May of this year or something better. I always add the or something better. Anyway, so my intention is to be married by May of this year. I met my husband later that month. Our wedding day was May 29th manifestation works. And so, so that's, that's 
that's part of my story to, to give you the, that's the, the short, long version. That's the short version of a longer story. Well, you know, time is my thing, right? You kind of know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you guys meet in November, if I remember correctly? We met in November, just around Thanksgiving. Yep. So was it, sorry, because yeah, I'm, I'm very particular with times. <laughs> so when you said this year, do you mean within that time frame of like November to November? Within six months. So from okay. November to May was about six months. Yeah. So we we dated for a couple of months. We were engaged for a couple of months. We were married. Like we just knew. So I remember he told me he met you. I believe I talked to him on Thanksgiving Day, and that's when he told me about you. Oh, so he I think about me early on. Then that's impressive. Things, <laughs> yeah. They, I want to say it was a couple days after you guys met. Maybe you had okay. your first date. Probably, yeah. Uh, when was our first date? I think it was, yeah, it was in November, and then our set, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in November. You're right, because I, I remember, I remember thinking like, we're in Jerusalem. I want a Thanksgiving meal. I wonder if this guy's going to take me out for a Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> Did he? No, <laughs> we went for Italian. Oh, it's the next best thing. That's the next best thing for sure. We'll uh, we'll throw him a bone there. <laughs> So how did the mystical practices in India differ with those in Israel? Wow. Um, That's a big question. I'd say the differences between spiritual living in India versus Israel. That was the question. Yeah. Yeah. The more mystical nature as well. The mystical nature. Um, In India, large focus was around activating our innate human powers. So actualizing, you know, it's a lot, a lot of it has to do with sorting through the voices of self-doubt, self-hatred, self-denial, sabotage, right? Like it's, 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 it's a lot of going into childhood experiences and recognizing, you know, the stories you tell yourself about yourself become your reality. And so what is my story? You know, you started by who are you? I get it. That was one of the first questions you asked me. And it's like, okay, how I answer this is going to matter because what's my narrative? What's my story? What is the identity that I perceive myself having? And that how I perceive myself is oftentimes going to be what I unconsciously project to the external world. Um, And so in India, it was about, it was a lot of identity work. From a more mystical perspective, we were, you know, it was very guru centered, guru centered. The guru was the center point of all of our uh, meditations, all of our, we did breath work, kriyas, yoga, and it all revolved around the guru's grace, we'll call it. Whereas in Israel, it became, and, and I think this is what I was looking for, like this whether I was aware of it or not at the time, I was looking for something bigger than the guru. I realized that the de- whatever devotion I had towards the guru at the time was capped because there was this other voice in my head that would always say, Ayelet, he's a human being. He goes to the bathroom, he gets sick. You know, he's a human being. He might be very wise, extremely charismatic, but he's human. And there was a part of me that wanted this 
connection with divinity that transcend human, transcends human form. And I had a very hard time in India seeing other people bowing at the guru's feet, adorning this guru with flower necklaces. I mean, there was one festival where he was just buried in rose petals up to his neck. And all you see is his head sticking out of just millions of rose petals. And I'm thinking like, wow, these people really worship him. And you know what, for them, that might be beautiful. Like there, there is a, there is a beauty in that nectar of bhakti, of devotion, of connection to something physical, because human beings, we need physical objects to connect you. It gives us meaning um, and allows us, it's, it's an easier way to connect. When you're connecting to this thing called God or source energy or the creator, it's like the mind doesn't know where to go with that. You know, how do I wrap myself around? How do I wrap my mind around this, this, this idea of, oh, you know, love God, you know, you should love God. What does that mean? But I wanted to know, I wanted to know what that meant. And I feel like studying mysticism, Kabbalah, Torah in Israel has allowed me to transcend I don't want to call it like lower level connection to a guru because for some people that that's everything for some people that's everything and i don't want to undermine that but i felt like for me that wasn't everything and so mystical living from a from a israel perspective has everything to do with connecting to the divine in the in the omniscient form, in the transcendent form, in the out of body, beyond infinite, infinite, infinite possibilities, right? Like that, that connection with the divine. And, um, and that's what living in Israel and, and, and studying more of a Kabbalistic Torah, spiritual philosophy, lifestyle has offered me. Sounds like you guys were focused on shadow work a lot in, in uh, India. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the irony is the irony is that's all in the work that I've been doing in Israel as well. It's all there. It just, the way we do the work is different. So in India, it was a lot of, you know, we'd spend hours and hours and hours every day, just filling up notebooks, filling up notebooks. We'd have to write out every childhood memory we could possibly remember. And the more you start that exercise, the more memories begin to come back, come back, come back. So it's a lot of writing down from beginning to end in as much detail as possible. Like that was the path of healing in India. And then, and then, uh, and then we would do a process called completion. Completion means so basically, what is an incompletion? Let's start there. An incompletion is any story that is living in our past that we are carrying with us today and it's impacting our future, for better or worse. Any story from our past that we're carrying with us today that is impacting our future. So for example, when I was eight years old, I had my first crush on a boy named Tommy. Tommy did not feel the same way about me as I did about him. And so one day he came up to me during recess, tapped me on the shoulder, looks me in the eyes and says, Ayelet, I don't like you. Not even a little bit. Get that through your thick head. Hmm. 
And I remember in that moment, right? What are the stories that I told myself about myself in that moment? I grabbed my best friend. I dragged her to the bathroom and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I told myself things unconsciously, unaware that I was doing this. I was eight years old, but a seed got planted that I'm not enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving of having a boy that I like, like me back. Right. But not, not only did it start to form this identity that I carried about myself, but it also created a more generalized identity towards all boys. At this point, no boy could be trusted because Tommy didn't like me. All of a sudden, every boy got placed into that same category as boys cannot be trusted. They will all break your heart. And so what was, what, what got created, what part of my identity or parts work, shadow work, what got created in that moment was my tough side, right? No boy's ever going to, cause you know, no boy's ever going to break my heart again. Cause God forbid, God forbid, I, I allowed the part that I threw into exile, which is real vulnerability, real softness, we'll call it real, you know, real desire for connection, all those parts got thrown into a basement called exile because I was not willing to experience that kind of pain ever again. And so the new me that manifested was tough girl, girl with walls up, girls who broke boys' hearts before they ever had a chance to break her heart. Right? And those were the parts of my identity that were expressed. Now, those parts came with gifts too. Like there are no bad parts, right? According to IFS, there's no bad parts, even the shadow parts, even shadow work. You know, we know that there is really incredible lessons in the shadows. Um, there are really profound teachings that if we, if we listen to the wisdom of the shadow, then we can bring those parts into the light and then live predominantly in the light and not in the shadow. But yes, I guess to answer your question, it was a lot of shadow work, a lot of rewriting the story, a lot of completing with our incompletions, right? Which meant, you know, we'd sit in front of another person and the person who's sitting in front of us, their role was to be completely unexpressive. Oh, the dyad. Yeah, you know. <laughs> There is power to that because all I want when I'm sharing about my childhood traumas and the way I didn't get validated by my dad and the way my mom's called me too sensitive and the way, you know, the way Tommy broke my heart. And I, like when I'm expressing that and I would, I'd have to read all my pages of childhood stories to another through human being sitting across from me who was completely unexpressive. All I want from them is to be like, Oh my gosh, that's so hard. <laughs> but I'm not getting that, which causes me to need to take responsibility for my parts. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's called integration. That's called integration of one's parts. Now, coming to Israel, the work is not any different. Really, it's not any different. The only difference is we have God consciousness now. Right. That, that's what I acquired coming to Israel was instead of guru consciousness, which for me felt like a limiting experience, you know, it became, it became to feel limiting after six years. And I needed something more. Um, now 
I have all of those experiences. I'm, you know, Judaism really preaches inner work, like every holiday, every month, there is wisdom in the energy of each month. And each month is an opportunity to go into another part of ourselves. It's, it's like, the, there's like a, and we could see it in horoscopes, even like the way the stars are aligned is not by coincidence. The stars and the months are aligned in such a way, especially according to the Jewish calendar, where we're offered opportunities in each month to transcend our old limited thinking, our old habits, old patterns. And when we really take advantage of the energy that is available to us in that month, we grow. Like according to Judaism, time is not linear, it's spiral. It's spiral. And every year we come back to that same month, but God willing, we come back from with a new perspective, with a new way of approaching challenges, situations, hopefully we've grown in the last year so that if you visualize like a spiral staircase, if you're constantly going up and up and up, you're never in the same place you were the year before. That's called death. That's called living death. And, and if, if, if we're not growing, if we're not actualizing every year, every month, every day, every moment, we're going backwards because time doesn't stop for anybody. So the difference between, I'd say, Indian mysticism and Torah, Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, um, which are the two that I'm the most familiar with, is that Jude Jewish mysticism brings in a abundance of God consciousness. So I am in this perpetual state of standing under an open faucet of infinite abundance. And that open faucet of infinite abundance, when I bring in, you know, we call God Hashem in Judaism, we call God Hashem. And there's, there's certain letters and orders of letters that are the foundation of all creation, right? It's like, what's, what's smaller than an atom? It's the Hebrew letters. They're, they're, there's mystical power to these letters. And when we focus on God's name and we bring God's name into our experience, into our fear, into our challenges, into our guilt and resentment and all those negative vibrational experiences, when we bring those letters, when we bring God's name, right? We said speech has power. So there's certain incantations, certain prayers, psalms that when we recite them, we can actually see things manifest. So that, that's the difference. I feel like I'm sitting on a pot of gold now that I have Kabbalah under my belt, that I have Torah under my belt. And, it, and it, it's, it's given me a blueprint that feels so much more aligned in alignment with my soul's mission. With regards to the mysticism, something I frequently see from clients during my sessions, when they come with their questions for the higher self, oftentimes they're asking, can you help me remember my magical gifts? Can you help me? Can you bring them back to me? You know, can you teach me how to do this? But what I often don't see in those questions or anything other than that, I only see that being the focus. So how is that inner work the gateway to mysticism? Oh, how is inner work the gateway to mysticism? Well, first, let's, let's define mysticism because that's such a broad term mysticism is it a spiritual experience is it living with god consciousness is it doing yoga in lululemon tank top and pants you know like is 
what is mis? Is it all of it? Is it all of it? For me, mysticism is living with God consciousness. So, so, and, and when I say God, I mean, I don't care what you call it, you know, source, the creator of all life, infinite, you know, the divine, I often refer to God as the divine, okay, or the creator. Now, when I'm bringing this awareness that a intelligence bigger than mine is guiding me in every moment, then I can rest assured that there's no coincidences, that nothing is just by chance, that everything is meant to be exactly the way it is, even the challenges, especially the challenges. So, so living with this God consciousness, when it comes to doing inner work, I have a partner in crime. I have a partner in crime, which means, you know, there's only so much cognitive work one can do. You know, I'm a therapist, I'm a coach, I work with people and it's like the work ends where mysticism begins, right? There's that line. There's that line where you think you can, you can go to talk therapy. You can, you know, uh, write your childhood story on paper for hours and hours and hours. You can do all the inner work, go to therapy for years, get every amazing celebrity life coach, whatever it is. Right. And then at a certain point, you, 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 you know, in the spiral of time, as time progresses, you know, we might transcend an old limiting behavior belief, but oftentimes when we're put back into a scenario that triggers that old belief, oh, here it is again. What happened? I thought I worked through it. I thought I worked through it, but then here goes my dad telling me the same old, same old, and I'm just as triggered as I was five years ago, right? Or then I get married and it's like, oh, here's my mirror. Here's a person who I can't run from my stuff when it comes to my husband or my kids, you know? And so, 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 mysticism when it comes to inner work allows me to say, you know what, for example, let's take parenting, for example, there's only so much I can do. There's, and I'm, and we're meant to do that work. We're meant to do the best we can go to the therapy, take conscious parenting classes, take classes on how to be a good partner to your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. But then you get to a point where, and I find myself in this situation often when I'm like, oh my gosh, how much how much can I possibly handle disciplining my kids, holding space for them, being calm amidst their chaos and their tantrums? I often say, God, you take over. You parent my child. How does that work out for you? <laughs> honestly, honestly, that's where faith comes in. Because in the moment, I might not. Okay, me saying, God, you take over, you parent my child is not going to stop my son from tantruming when he wants a certain toy or another piece of chocolate, right? You're right. However, if I can take a step back and just insert faith, knowing that just by uttering those words, God, source, universe, you take over. I I've reached my tail. I've reached my, my, my breaking point. You know, there is magic that happens. Even if it's not obvious in that moment, magic happens and you, you create an opening, you create a space like Kabbalah, you froze there for a second. I'm, I'm just sitting really still. Oh, oh wow. You, you, you freeze really well. <laughs> I've done the die out a few times as the receiver as That's well. It, you just brought me back to India. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> just sit there expressionless. <laughs> wow, that was good. You were still <laughs> as it, I really thought you were frozen. Um, you, so Kabbalah, you know, people often talk about it as the law of attraction. That's how you create the life you desire, the law of attract it. But really, it's the law of Kabbalah, which Kabbalah means to receive, le kabel. It's, it's turning yourself into a receiver. And it's, it's what happens when, you know, there, in, in, from a Hindu perspective, there's a goddess, uh, Lakshmi, I believe it is, yeah? And she, she sits with her palm open, palm facing up, open. It's not a fist and her, fit, and her hand is not open in a way that's flat. She creates it like a cup. She creates a cup because that's the, the energy of, that's the posture of receiving. When our fists are closed, we can't receive and we can't give, right? When our fists, when our palms are out flat, then anything we give, it's like the curse of the lottery. When your vessel is not equipped to receiving, you lose all the money you made before you've even made it, right? It's the curse of the lottery. But when you create a vessel out of yourself that can contain, that can hold the next level of abundance that you are ready for, then you allow an opening for God to come in. And yes, he does parent your child in those places. Yes, he does give you opportunities to manifest financial abundance, to manifest um, uh, your next big break, your next opportunity, your soulmate, you know, whatever it is. But, but it's the law of turning yourself into a receiver. How can I turn myself into a receiver of the infinite amount of blessings, of abundance, of gifts, that the universe is, is, is storing for me right now. So while I feel I understand what you're saying, I'm also picturing getting a very angry email from someone right now. And I believe the email may say something along the lines of, I asked God to come in and take care of my children right now. I, I, I handed the reins over to God. And then my three-year-old son got into the box wine thinking it was juice, lit the house on fire. He got out okay but the house is gone because I let God take over for a while. Cause I said, God just take over, just take over for the kids. So I think it's really important that we're clear about what that means. So what does that mean to you when you say I'm asking God to take over and, and help parent my children? So great question. Great question. So, so this is not to say, you know, I teach manifestation. So this is not to say that if a woman is trying to manifest her soulmate or a man is trying to manifest his soulmate, manifestation or letting God in does not mean, okay, I get to just sit back, legs up, bag of chips, watching Netflix, and my husband or wife is going to come knocking on my door without any effort on my behalf. Okay. So, so it's a co-creation. I use the language of co-creation often, right? Cause it's, it's this cosmic, universal, divine intelligence wants us to play an active role in co-creating our reality. If we just sit back and do nothing, then what's going to happen? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? So, so it is a dance. So this is not me saying, you know what? I brought kids into this world and now I don't have to do anything. I'm not responsible. God, you're responsible. No. It's saying, I've done everything I can, okay? And now what's my role? Surrender. 
the, the, the act of surrendering is what creates that opening that allows God to come in and patch up the stuff that we're just not able to. We're not meant to be able to. We're human beings. Even though we are limitless as far as consciousness goes, physically, physically, there's a limitation and we can't deny that, you know? And so, so that limitation is where we come in and say, God, help me heal. God, help me create. God, help me parent. Help me show up as the best wife that I possibly can. Help me show up as the best therapist. You know, it's, and, and people know that state people, it's like, you know, I teach people how to access flow state, which, you know, you're a musician, you know, when you're singing, when you're playing the guitar, you know, have you had that experience where you almost feel like you're not the one playing anymore? Like something is playing through you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's called flow state or basketball players access flow state a lot. Public speakers. If we get out of our way and we show up with what I call presence, and authenticity. And there's this air of confidence, but not arrogance, but just confidence in, I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm talking about. And I might not be the most articulate, but that doesn't matter because I'm in flow. Who's the one actually showing up? It's me. I'm showing up. The basketball players are the ones playing basketball. The parents are the ones parenting. But when I'm showing up and I'm on your podcast or public speaking to the extent that I can say, Ayala, get out of your own way, access that flow state, let God in. Then I'm not concerned with how am I showing up? What are you thinking about me? Am I saying the right thing? Am I saying the wrong thing? No, I'm just letting the divine speak through me, work through me. And I just become the vessel. And so it's a co-creative dance from that perspective. So on the podcast, I've talked about how, I've written a script with a co-writer that's about past lives. And I'm not sure if I've talked about this part of it. Maybe I have. But that was a big step for me to take, talking about it on the show. Because I've always approached life from a place of, unless something is solidified, I'm not going to tell anyone about it. If I'm going to go on a trip, I'm not going to tell anyone about it until I book it. Or if I've really made up my mind that I'm going to, go on that trip. So if I'm telling someone, hey, I'm thinking about going on a trip, it means I've made up my mind because it's that pet peeve of, well, if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then they're going to not, my words aren't going to hold as much weight because they're going to say, well, but you said you were going to go to France. You said you were going to go do this and that and this and that. And I know what I have talked about on the podcast is when I put out a feeler for the podcast back in July of 2021, I said, hey, if I were to start a podcast, who would listen? That was really my way of saying, I've already made up my mind. I'm doing this. I mean, I think that's, I want to say it was a year to the day as we're recording this when I did that because yeah. my podcast setup had just arrived. I'd already bought all the equipment. I'd made up my mind at that point. So when it came to the script, I hit this point where I'm like, I need to get this out to the world. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I have a platform here and I'm going to risk people knowing about the script and asking me about it until the end of time because I want to get it out there. Mm. It was a big fear of mine to put it out in that way, even though I am so proud of that script and I want the world to see it. But now people know. I bring this up because it was setting that intention of I'm going to get it into the right hands at one time or another. 
Now, what ended up happening as a result of that is I had a client of mine who lives in Australia reach out to me and say, you'll never guess what happened today. There's an international film festival in town, and there were some people who were in the industry. In long story short, she got me a pitch time with them. Now, as we're recording this today, I don't know if that will end up going anywhere. But what I do know is that wouldn't have happened had I not brought it up on the podcast. And I brought it up on the podcast for that very reason of I don't know how it's going to happen. And it just so happened that it was someone in Australia who connected with someone else who lived in L.A. The universe works in mysterious ways. But I believe my surrender came with, I don't need to know how it's going to happen, but I need to act. I need to face what scares me, and I need to act on it. So was that manifestation? 100%. 100%. The fa- I mean, you said it yourself. The fact that you were not focused on the how, that is a key. That is key. I always say if someone wants something, whatever that is, big or small, we can allow the monkey mind to come in and start getting so caught up in the details that we never even take action, that we never, we, we just end up stuck, right? But the fact that you got just that, that foundational principle to manifesting, which is I had a desire. I put my intention out there. I trusted that my intention was heard. Once it's in the quantum field, it's out there. It's Mm -hmm. out there. And we said thoughts, speech, they carry vibrational frequency. They carry messages with them. So it's out there. And then your job becomes let go of the how. Let go of the how. To the extent that we can allow ourselves to surrender, I teach something called the three C's that block abundance. The three C's that block abundance. The first one is controlling when we're controlling. The second one is complaining. And the third one is comparison. Control, complain, compare. When we're, we'll talk about control for a second. We all know when we're being controlling, if you think about something that you want and it's not yet here, Let's say you just went for a job interview and you haven't heard back from the potential employer and that inner space of fear, anxiety, pressure, stress, that's control. That's me trying to control an outcome. When are they going to call me back? How are they going to call me back? And it's me checking my phone every five seconds. Did I get an email from them yet? Did I get an email from them yet? Did I get an email from them yet? Right. That's the opposite of letting go of the how. Surrender is the opposite of control. To the extent that we can trust that we are being guided to the next best destination for ourselves and have the courage to show up without having all of our ducks lined up in a row, that's manifestation. Me leaving India to go to Israel without a plan, nowhere to sleep, no job, no, nothing. I didn't know many people in Israel. It's not like I had community set up for me. I was leaving safety. I was leaving a community that I built for myself for more than six years. I was leaving security. That's the opposite of control. Like I was, I was just open to divine guidance. The moment a person goes for a job interview, they've done their part of the dance of the co-creative dance. And that's what you did. You did your part. You put it out there. You bought the equipment. For your podcast, that's taking action. You know, you took action, you got the equipment, right? That 
then you let go of the how. And now look, it's been a year and your podcast is still growing and thriving and you're doing it. You're doing it. Well, thank you. I think I'm doing okay. You're doing great. So I have a question when it comes to the control. In all transparency, when I just brought up the script and the pitch, one, the fear kicks in of, okay, now I'm talking about the fact that I actually landed a pitch with it. My God, are people going to ask me about it now? Now that they know that I put it out there, how, how'd it go? How'd it go? And, and as I said before, at this point, nothing has come of it. Doesn't mean that nothing will come out of it, but it's that risk of, will I be a failure in their eyes if nothing comes of it? Now, the other reason I did that is because, I mean, brought it up, is to me, it's about the reinforcement of still putting it out there and letting everyone know, I've got this thing. I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. I have a platform. I'm going to bring it up. Am I trying to control the outcome by bringing it up again? Because I have been clear about what my motivation is there. Great question. So, by the way, it's okay to call my ass out on these things too. I'm okay with that. (laughs) So no need to pull your punches. So look, are you, are you blocking the manifestation from happening or not believing in it or by putting it out there? Are you controlling? That was the question. Are you controlling? So there's, there's the difference between controlling an outcome by talking about it a lot, thinking about it a lot versus visualizing. And those are two different tracks. How do I know if what I'm doing is controlling versus visualizing? Well, let's first define visualizing. Visualization is that state a person is in when they are constantly in their mind, stepping in to their future as though it already exists right here, right now. Mm -hmm. By doing that, you are aligning your vibrational frequency with that which you desire. And as a result, becoming a vibrational match for that outcome to manifest. Okay, but, but visualizing comes with an internal state of excitement. If you can visualize and feel excited that your manifestation is already in the works, even if it hasn't materialized in your physical reality, knowing that once you put it out there, there's that trust, there's that faith. Okay. It's now it's in the quantum field in Kabbalah. It's called Ein Sof. Ein Sof means without limitation. It's that field of Ein Sof infinite possibilities. Once it's out there and you can get excited about it, when you can get excited about the fact that your intention is in the process of manifesting, right? That's manifestation. When you are in a state of control, the way we gauge that is our emotions. Our emotions are our GPS. Am I experiencing fear, anxiety, stress, overwhelm? Right. Anything that takes us out of being a vibrational match for that which we desire could be one of the three C's, usually control. Right. So, so my answer to you, when you say, am I trying to control the outcome and therefore blocking the manifestation, the question, the follow-up question I would ask you is, well, how does it make you feel? Mm. I feel good that I'm facing my fear. I'm very proud of myself for doing that. But then there is some hesitation that kicks in 
because I wonder if I'm trying to manipulate my listeners, which I, I don't believe that I am because it's, again, it's bringing it up again. So if I say it enough, will it sink in? And then, yeah. So if then if they're at some, you know, wherever it may be, a hair salon in Australia, just name the place, will they remember because of the repetition? Uh-huh. 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 Well, look, I'm I'm not opposed to putting our intentions out into the world for people's listening. Cause then it's like now the consciousness of all those people who heard it mm-hmm. help bring on the manifestation of it. Then again, okay? I'm not using any subliminals or anything. I mean, I don't know any anyways. So okay, sorry, I was thinking out loud there. Okay. <laughs> sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> right now, now the only caveat that I would add is, are you taking action? Are you taking surrendered action? Not just action. Whoa, whoa. That sounds like an oxymoron right there. Well, let's put it this way. We can be in one of two states while even like, okay, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking cooking a meal, cooking a meal. Let's say I'm cooking dinner. Okay. I can, in that experience of cooking dinner, I can bring with it one of two internal experiences. One is the experience called reactivity versus the other experience is equanimity, right? Reactivity would look like, oh my gosh, I have so many things on my to-do list. When am I ever going to get it done? Why do I need to cook every single day for my whole family? Oh my gosh, cooking takes so long. It's such a waste of time. Oh no, I cut myself. Ow, I cut myself. I need to get it. Oh, there's blood everywhere. Oh, I need to get a Band-Aid. Oh my gosh. Now this meal is not going to taste good because I put bad thoughts into it. I put negative energy into it, right? That's called reactivity, right? And then we drop a glass while we're cooking and oh crap, I dropped a glass and we get reactive, right? That's one way of responding to all of any of life's experiences, big and small, or we can access what's called an internal state of equanimity, meaning I'm still taking action. I am still cooking the meal, but internally I'm singing a song that I really love while I'm cooking. I'm meditating while I'm cooking. Okay. I'm bringing God into the meal. I'm reciting prayers into the meal. It's just this, then I drop a glass And I just watch the glass drop and I tell myself the glass fell because the glass fell, period. There's no story. Uh There's no narrative. There's no making things bigger than what they are. Oh, I cut myself. Oh, how interesting. I cut myself. Let me wash my finger and get a Band-Aid. Equanimity, right? So that's called surrendered action. And we can choose. We have choice right? There's always magic moments in every single opportunity, even the breaking of the glass. I call it a divine opportunity. It's an opportunity for me to break an old habit, an old conditioned pattern where normally I would have been reactive, maybe cursed, who knows, right? And and I can, there's a magic moment of opportunity where if I catch it before I get reactive, I can shift into equanimity. And that opportunity, that divine opportunity for growth is available to me in every moment. Mm -hmm. So how I would equate that to my situation right now, I feel the story I would have told myself beforehand. Then again, I think I'd be lying to myself if I said I've even thought this or spoken the thought yet. Something I've always been very good at is making things happen. 
But I think the surrender here with me bringing it up against facing that fear, but it's not fulfilling the narrative of it's never going to happen for me because this opportunity may not have panned out, which I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here. This, I'm just bringing this up for the sake of the recording right now. It may have been a doom and gloom. I may have felt that of, well, you know, this didn't fall through. So that's means it's never going to happen because someone didn't like my work. I think it's the surrender of what did the previous experience show me that I faced my fear and brought it up and then something came as a result of it because I spoke up. I think that's the surrender of I don't know how this will pan out, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that experience showed me that something will come of it. Even if it wasn't something fully tangible of that realized vision, something was reflected back at me. And that's all of life. That's every experience. You know, there's the Jewish sage, the Baal Shem Tov. He says, anything that your eyes can see is not a coincidence. Meaning, you know, you're driving down a highway and God forbid you see an accident, right? The fact that you are in that moment, seeing that happen before your eyes means that there's a lesson there for you. Anything your eyes can see, anything you experience, anything you take in is all just a projection that was made special for your growth in this body on this planet. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on today. And well, you know, any final thoughts? I just love talking to you. And I think we could do this for hours, you know, I, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but I agree. I think, uh, no, any final thoughts? Look, um, I think we shared a lot. I think we dove deep. Um, I think this was really, really fun. I enjoy your questions. I think you have a, an art for asking questions, uh, which is an art in and of itself. Uh, so I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you for showing up and for bringing your, your art, your talent, your skill set, just you, just you, just bringing the authentic Daniel to life and, 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 uh, and making these podcasts available for people and, and also just bringing your wisdom of past life regression to people's lives and allowing that to bring, you know, uh, deeper levels of awareness and healing for individuals. So just, yeah, just those are my final thoughts. Just keep being you. You're doing awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And where can everyone reach you? Ayeletpolonski.com. Um, or where I'm really active is Instagram, which is the manifestation mindset handle. The handle is the manifestation mindset. Um, but I'm always, I have courses, manifestation courses. I do joy challenges. I do all sorts of things. So I yell at Polonsky.com would be, uh, would be the next best place to go. I'm so grateful that you came on and yeah, I'm going to have you on again. Yay. Yay. Thanks, Daniel. Oh, you're welcome. Formalities. I'm still working on that. Fellow time travelers, your journey through time awaits you. Just want to thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. And if you're interested in discovering who, when, and where you have been throughout time, and you'd like to book a session with me, just go ahead and send me a message on Instagram at the Past Life Regressionist. Or you can reach me through my website, yourpastliferegressionist.com.